Often, as a leader, we are met with difficult barriers and problems that create stress and fear. This week's guest, Justin Belt, shares his message on how leaders can slay our doubts, take the necessary actions, and find creative solutions. I'm really excited to share this important message from this fantastic author, podcaster, and friend. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Justin, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hey, Josh. Thank you for having me, man. I'm really excited to be with you today. Well, and the listeners probably don't know this, but we live actually in the exact same city, and it has been amazing to get to know you and to learn from you. And before we begin talking about a whole host of topics, including your new book, I want to talk about your educational and leadership journey. You know, when I tell students about myself, I always tell them that I never want to become a teacher. But when you dig deeper into that discussion, uh, my mom and my dad were teachers. My uh, biological grandma, I was also a teacher and an administrator. Growing up, seeing what my mom and dad dealt with on a daily basis, you know, having grades and kids in class, I, I never wanted any part of it. But there was also a part of me that was kind of afraid that I might not be able to live up to their legacy. Uh, that I might be more of a detriment to students than, than, than a positive. Uh, and even, you know, in college, I, grad, uh, I graduated with a degree in music, vocal performance. And I had offers to take over music programs of prestigious schools in Mississippi, and I turned them down because I didn't want to teach. So fast forward, we moved to Missouri. I'd been working in HR for about seven years, and something just was not clicking, wasn't clicking. Reviewing applications, doing interviews, I just kind of got to a point where I saw so many of the same issues and mistakes with so many applications and resumes that I thought that maybe, just maybe, if I could intervene before they got to this point, then we could have some very different applicants coming into the workforce. Uh, and I'm also going to say probably that it was God who gave me that, that final push and said, this is what really what I want you to do. So I quit my job and I went back to school for two years, which was an enormous strain on our family, but we persevered. And two years from the date that I quit, I got a job and working in eighth grade middle school in Missouri. And I loved it from the very first moment that the students walked into the classroom. Everything just felt so, it felt natural, nothing forced. I'm a goofy guy, so I could be goofy with the kids. I don't like to be bored in, in, in classrooms. So everything that I did was focused on high energy, high engagement. I didn't focus, honestly, I didn't focus on the standards. I focused on their engagement. I focused on the relationships and everything cascaded from there. It was, it was really amazing. You know, now we moved a year ago to Texas. And so from a leadership standpoint, I've never really considered myself a leader in schools at all. I've discovered that there are many different types of leaders. And what I understand about myself now is that I'm not the traditional type of school leader. Uh, it was my wife who encouraged me to go back to school to get uh, a degree in educational leadership. She thought that I would be a great principal. I didn't see it, but she's smarter than I am. So I went back and I did it anyway. So in the beginning of the program, uh, I could not see myself in the top spot of a school. But as the program has progressed and I have two more classes left, now I can firmly see myself there from the from a single aspect. Uh, in a school building, I feel like it is my sole responsibility uh, to bring positivity, to bring smiles, to bring uh, 
uh, high fives, handshakes, fist bumps, you know, jokes, everything that's going to create a positive environment. Because I understand now what I didn't understand when I first started teaching, that the positivity that school uh, that students have in my classroom or when I interact with them in the hallways, that might be the only positivity that they find the entire day. That may be the only time that a teacher says, hey, yo, I love you. I want you to be great. Um, that may be the only opportunity that somebody reprimands them for doing something that's less than who they are supposed to be. And so many students don't hear that, man. And that, that breaks my heart. And so, you know, I joke with myself when I talk about, you know, becoming an assistant principal, hopefully in the next couple of years, you know, my ideal leadership position would be one where I could advocate for teachers and love on kids all day. Like if I could create a position for myself, that would be what I did all day, every day. Because I want to, I, I feel like we have to take care of teachers from not just financially, but even more so emotionally and mentally, because it's a draining job. And if we're really gonna push for a student first policy or focus, we have to take care of the teachers first in order for them to properly take care of the students. Yep. So if I could do that for teachers and love on kids all day, man, I would be a happy guy. For the rest <laughs> of the day. That's awesome. You know, we had coffee not too long ago and you talked about your philosophy in the classroom and I just absolutely loved everything that you said. And I know that you have many strategies that you use to enhance student engagement. So will you just share that with the listeners on some of the out of the box thinking that you do in the classroom to get students excited about the topics and engage in your lessons? So I, I keep my guitar in my classroom. I'll break it out uh, at random moments. I'll just start singing about the lesson, singing a summary or a synopsis, you know, singing about inferences, or, you know, if there's a student sleeping, I'll start singing about that student. And that, you know, kids start ribbing the student, waking them up and you know, they get, they get locked back in. Uh, music is a powerful tool for collaboration. Mm -hmm. So I use my music background. I, I sing, I'll do opera. Uh, you know, this past year we taught the Odyssey and uh, I tried to set the scene for my students that, uh, um, that Homer was most likely something like a bard. So he would travel here and there uh, putting these stories to music. So I would walk around the classroom with my guitar singing about what was happening in the Odyssey, trying to immerse the kids into the literature. Mm -hmm. uh, and it worked for some, it didn't work for others, but we all had a good time with it. And you know, man, education, it, it has to be fun. It has to be fun. And I think that if we're teaching kids and we're not stretching our own creativity, then we're doing them a grave disservice because they're not gonna be able to do the, the, the things that we want them to do if they're not seeing it modeled for them. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I want to go back to what you were talking about before with the social emotional learning, because I know that is a huge aspect of what you do. And you're a firm believer that we have to make sure that we're taking care of everybody in the building, as far as their social emotional needs. So, you know, you talked about being a, an administrator in the future and what you would like to do. So what do you envision or what are you doing right now to help the needs of your fellow staff members and the students in your building? Well, last year, being completely new, to my building and I just gave every teacher I met a smile for Christmas break I got permission just to send out an encouraging note uh, just encouraging all the teachers to relax to rejuvenate to refresh I reminded them of how important this job is not just for right now but that 
uh, teachers have the unique ability to impact generations after uh, we have a student. And so, you know, throughout the school year, I send little notes like that. If I notice a teacher who seems to be having a hard day, I'll drop a sticky note on their door or slide it under, under their door for them to see it uh, the next morning. My leadership is not so overt. I like doing things that are behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And even if nobody knows that I was the one who did it, uh, the effect is still the same, that it keeps them encouraged. It keeps them uh, seeing, seeing the positivity. My team, they, they call me the heart guy uh, because that's always what I look to. I look to engage. I look to engage the heart first any and every situation, because I believe that that is a direct line to who a person is or who they wants to be. As an administrator, that will definitely, that'll be me doing the cheesy, corny things that, you know, sometimes I <laughs> uh, get complained about. Uh, but I think that those are important, man. And mm -hmm. we get so caught up in the rigmarole of the everyday that we forget that the most important things are not necessarily what we teach in class. It's how we make the people around us feel. Yeah, completely. Couldn't agree more. So I want to talk about you becoming a leader. You started to go back to school. For those who are thinking about taking the same pathway, is there anything that stood your way as far as making that decision? Did you have any doubts? And that now that you're in that process, is it something that you feel like others should also do? Well, I didn't start teaching until I was 32. And for a long time, I thought that I was at a disadvantage to my younger peers who came out of college and jumped right into teaching. But I've learned out that it's more of a strength because you know I'm a lot surer of myself and the things that I do because of my life experience. And I think kind of the same way with leadership. First off, I would say no matter what stage uh, of life you're in, if you wanna go back to school to do anything, go back and do it. Uh, the best thing that we can do for our kids and for our students is to let them see us going after those dreams that we always tell them that they're capable of achieving. But if you have, even if it's just a fleeting thought that you might want to become, you know, a principal or a superintendent or an AP or an instructional coach at some point in your, in your life, if you're motivated right now, do it. And then just keep the degree in your back pocket until you feel like you're ready to use it. Uh, I think that there's a stigma that just because you get the degree, then you need to jump out of the classroom and into an office immediately. I don't think that's the case. I'm not quite ready to leave the classroom yet, even though I see uh, my time there beginning to wane. But you have the degree, you keep it until you're ready to use it uh, and gain that experience. Learn from uh, your principals and other administrators in, in, in the school. Find ways to work with them. You know, this past year, I had several opportunities to serve as a substitute assistant principal. And those were my favorite times of the year, not because I had a chance to use any of the information that I learned in school, but because it gave me greater access to, to, to kids, the kids who were getting in trouble, kids who were wandering the halls. I joined them and we would wander the halls talking about life together, talking about what they were doing. I think that we need administrators who understand the value of timing. Like every administrator is not meant to be an administrator as soon as they leave school, yep. right? So get, get your degree and then just sit on it and continue to learn where you are. Continue to bloom where you are planted until you're ready to blossom into that administrative position. 
Well, Justin, I want to talk about a couple projects that you've been doing. Um, I want to start with the engagement piece that you do in the classroom with your students. And, you know, this past year you worked with your students on Choice Podcasts. So what was that project about? Was it successful? And would you encourage other teachers to venture into the world of podcasting? First, to your second question, should teachers venture into the world of podcasting? Absolutely. I don't care what your content area is. I don't care if you teach professional napping. Okay, podcasting, I think, is a wave of instruction uh, that, I mean, so many people are seeing the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. um, students are learning how to communicate, which only helps them. They're learning how to research the topics that they're podcasting on. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. So the, the Student <laughs> Choice Podcast, uh, it was an idea for me uh, that one of the best ways to teach the standards without actually teaching the standards was to give the kids a creative outlet uh, to show me that they've mastered them. Um, so I didn't talk about any standards. I didn't talk about, you know, any teaks or I didn't talk about a star test. I told them, you know, I let them listen to my old pod podcast, the Ycast. And I said, you know, I started this podcast after waiting a long time because I didn't think that my voice needed to be heard. But what I've understood is that everybody has a voice that somebody needs to hear. And I always tell my students that their voices are gonna be the leading voices of this next generation. So they need to start cultivating them now in a positive manner. And so from there, we listened to so many podcasts. I played, actually I played some of your podcasts for them. Some of, uh, some other people that we know, Teachers on Fire yeah. uh, and comedy podcasts, you know, suspenseful podcasts. And I said, there is something in the podcasting realm for each and every one of you. And if it's not, this is your chance to stake your claim. And so from there, I gave them very, very loose instructions. I said, you're going to create a podcast, three episodes. You are going to use Anchor. You can make your podcast on whatever you want to make it on. I'm not going to stifle you. Uh, but at the end, I'm going to have you reflect and I'm going to ask you to reflect on your own podcasting journey with a critical lens toward taking that podcast and expanding it uh, past this school year. So man, over, over time, the first podcasts were pretty bad. <laughs> they were pretty bad. But that second podcast, for so many of those students, a light went on. And it, I think it was this light of this represents me. It was cool for them to see their podcast show up on Spotify and on uh, and on and on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, and I think because of that, because they knew that somebody would be able to really hear them and hear their thoughts, the the second round of podcasts were so much better. Yeah. Uh, they were more into it. They were you could hear that passion for those topics coming off. Like I had a kid make a podcast about how much he loved peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. His second, his second podcast, he reviewed different types of peanut butter and it was amazing. Like it was absolutely amazing to hear the passion that these kids have. And you know, something that I've really taken away from that is that uh, so many times we tell kids to pursue their passions, but we don't give them an opportunity in the very educational place that they should be comfortable doing it to do it. Yep. Now, I understand, you know, that as teachers, we're, we are beholden to standards. I, I understand that. And maybe I'm just a bit of a maverick in that sense. But 
at my in my heart of hearts, I also understand that sometimes the standards don't touch on the passion. And when we aren't able to intersect the passion with the education, then we're missing out on opportunities. So by the time that third round of podcasts, those third round of podcasts came along, they were putting out things that were better than anything that I ever did with the podcast. They were, you know, mixing their, they were mixing their sounds. They were cutting, they were pasting the, the audio. They were telling me things that I never even knew that you could do with, with sound and with podcasting. They loved it. And they loved the education piece that came out of it. They were so critical in their reflections, yet they didn't feel down about the things that they didn't do right. Mm -hmm. They resolved to do it better next time. And it's that stick to that helped me to see such a transformation in so many students, students who don't want to graduate high school. And they're able to create this podcast that incorporates research, that incorporates conducting interviews, that incorporates so many of these skills that we struggle to teach them over the course of a regular class period. They're doing these things without giving it a second thought because they're so highly engaged in it. I, I just, I would really encourage anyone who's thinking about it just to give it a try. So Justin, you had made mention that you had a podcast or have a podcast, the Ycast. And so I want to know about that podcast and its origin story. So the Ycast is on an extended hiatus. <laughs> uh, when when we were getting ready to relocate to Texas, I just didn't have time for it. And when we got here, life was just too busy and it, it hasn't stopped. So it's on hiatus. Hopefully it'll be back. I also have another idea for a podcast called I've Been Thinking. But the idea for the podcast, my, my personal mission statement is to encourage, to inspire, and to motivate. Uh, and at the core of that, being able to do all three of those or any one of those three things involves being able to answer the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? How is that affecting me? And also, how is it affecting the people outside of me? How is it affecting those in my immediate vicinity? How is it affecting the world? And so I thought it would be really, really cool to have a podcast where I could have conversations with people and just explore their why, just drill down to, you know, why are you doing this? beyond the fluff, beyond the accolades, beyond the acclaim, why are you doing this? And how are you taking this and using it to make the world a better place? So I had some really, really amazing conversations. One of my favorites was with a friend of mine who uh, is now a chef with several restaurants in Joplin, Missouri that are doing just so well. And at one point he'd given up on his dream of becoming a chef. He was gonna become a teacher. And I just said, why? Like, why? What's your dream, what's your passion? to become a chef. So just go do it. Yep. Just go do it. And it's so cool to watch him flourishing in that now. It's simple how the Ycast came to be. And I, I loved it. Like I said, I really hope, I really, really hope to get back to doing that. So Justin, you talked about passion projects. And I know another project that you're extremely passionate about is the Project Lit Book Club. So for those who haven't heard of that, what is that project all about? So the Project Lit Book Club is nothing that I started. It's nationwide. And the idea behind it is to expose students to literature that takes them outside of their current situation into the lives of other people's, other, other experiences. And the other idea behind it is so that students can see their teachers, administrators, their parents, the, the teller at the bank, the you know, manager of the, of the grocery store, the Walmart, 
reading the same book together. Therefore, it creates a community of readers. So uh, it's totally student choice led. Uh, we present them with the, the books from the project lit uh, that they've selected for each year. Mm -hmm. They decide the books that we want to read. There's fundraising involved. And then we start recruiting members both in the school and outside of the school. And we pass the books out, we read them, and then we come together at the end after everyone's read the book for a time of games and discussion. And it's really, really cool that the students get to interface with adults who approach them not from the, the standpoint of, I know it all, you listen to me, but it's an, there's an equal flow, there's a fluid flow of ideas. There are things that the students know that the adults don't, and they recognize it, and they listen. Uh, and so the students really feel like they are loved in a completely different way because they are encompassed in this cocoon of people who are for them, who've just had the same experience with them within the bounds of literature, and they understand each other that much more for it. It's really, it's amazing, man. I, I, I didn't know what to expect when we first started it, but it is, it's a transformative and I know people say that a lot, but it's a transformative process. Mm -hmm. It really is. You know, you can look it up on Google Project Lit community and find all the information about it. But I would encourage, I think, honestly, every school needs a chapter, yeah. really. No, I agree. And I'm going to get that link put in the show notes for anyone that's interested. So make sure that you go into the show notes, click on that and sign up for that project, because I think it is a very valuable piece that can be added to any classroom and to any school. Justin, I got to talk about this. You are a new author. And your book just drops called Slaying the Lion, Hunt What is Hunting You. So for those who are listening who haven't had a chance to read your book, will you just give a quick synopsis? So Slaying the Lion, Hunt What is Hunting You is a book that I wrote out of a need to encourage people to quit running from issues. Like we all have issues. We all have things in our past, in our present that we, we hide from, we run from, but like a lion, it keeps hunting us until it finds us and then it wants to kill us. It's written from a faith-based perspective because I do believe in God. And I believe that, you know, we are created to conquer and not to be conquered. And so the, the idea of this book is that maybe it's time for all of us to turn around and look that lion in the face and say, I'm, I'm done. I'm done running. I'm done hiding. If you want to fight, I'm going to give you a fight, but I'm going to win in the end. So, yeah, I wrote the book and, you know, I, I talk about, you know, how I've dealt with fear and other issues in my life and how I've learned to overcome them and to stand tall and to not let them overwhelm me anymore. So it was a process. It wasn't fun in a lot of different points, but I'm, I'm really proud of it. I'm, I'm really, really proud of it. I didn't write it hoping for it to be a bestseller or anything like that. I, I wouldn't mind at all. <laughs> I wouldn't mind at all. But again, it goes back to my personal mission, encouragement, inspiration, and motivation. So yeah, that's my book, man. Just I want to talk about this because a lot of people are in a position that is not in leadership and they feel like their voice doesn't matter. And for you, you know, you've started a podcast, you're an author, you speak, I mean, you do a lot of different things. So when was it that you found your voice and you felt like what you had to say was valuable? You know what? Honestly, I think right now is a point in my life where I'm really believing in the value of my voice. The podcast was awesome because it opened a door for me and I walked through it that I never thought was possible. And people were listening to it like, really, what? 
and I've blogged off and on for almost a decade. And blogging, you know, one or two people read it and you never really know if it makes an impact. With the social racial unrest of today, I've had so many conversations with people who don't look like I am, where I've had the courage to speak openly and honestly and to listen courageously to what they were saying, even if I didn't agree. My blogs, the last three blogs I've posted have, have been uh, about the racial tension in America. I, I've never blogged about anything like that in my blogging history. Mm -hmm. I'm about to be 40 in about, well, in about a month, honestly. And right now, man, I just, I feel this conviction that if I don't use my voice well, if I don't use it often, and if I don't use it effectively, then someone who needs to hear what I have to say is going to go missing on a perspective that might completely alter their way of thinking. Now, do I think my voice is that great or that powerful? No, but it's not left up to me. It's up to me to be faithful with what I have, with my gift, with my talents, uh, and do what I believe that I'm led to do. And then just let whatever happens with that, you know, just let it happen. And, you know, if I could encourage anyone who's on the fence about any of those things, using your voice, speaking up, blogging, podcasting, any of those things, they're all the same to me. I would say don't deprive the world of the gift that is all of your life experiences and your perspectives. We need to bring those things to the table. We need to have those discussions, those tough discussions, and come away understanding how we can make the world a better place. Yeah. So real quick, Justin, what were the three topics that you wrote about on equity or on race? And then will you also provide your website or your blog? The latest one is called So What Now? And the, it deals with, you know, after the media departs, after this is not front page news every night, who will we be then? Who will we choose to be? I think that's an important question that every person has to answer for themselves. The other blogs deal with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, of course. Yep. And there's a portion of one of them that, that talked about how uh, in teaching, I feel like, and this is going to be probably controversial, but if we're really, 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 really having to go through the process of joining all of these book clubs and asking all of these questions, then there's really some soul searching that we have to do. I think mm -hmm. that as educators, as teachers, I think it's inherent in our responsibilities to teach every angle, every perspective, whether a textbook gives it to us or not. Yep. But uh, the website is justinbwriting.com. Uh, and you can find uh, where to purchase the book on Amazon. And there's also a link to my blog on there as well. Well, Justin, nothing you said to me is controversial in that because there are so many things that are missing in curriculum as far as our history. And I think a lot of times things are glossed over. So I couldn't agree with you more. Um, we definitely need to all do some self-reflection when it comes to race and inequality. I and mean, I think it needs to then go into the school. So I'm so glad mm -hmm. that you said that because that definitely needs to occur. Justin, I always like asking toward the end of the interviews about leadership and you know, every every person on campus is a leader. Any educator is a leader. And I think you are a perfect example of that. Even though you aren't in the limelight, you are doing things on the campus that are impacting people and students every single day. So for those who are starting their leadership journey, what is one thing that you experienced that you feel like every beginning leader should have within their repertoire? I would say a deep practice of introspection. Everything that I do, I met with that other voice inside of me 
that is critically questioning why I did this or why I said that. I used to shy away from that voice because I thought that it undermined what I was trying to do. Uh, but now I understand that it just presents me with a different lens. So it helps me before I say something to think about all of the possible outcomes of what's about to come out of my mouth. Before I do something, I, it drives me to think about all of the possible outcomes of my actions. And you know, if I wanna encourage people or inspire or motivate them, there are certain things that I cannot say in the way that I wanna say them, or I cannot do in the way that I want to do them. And introspection helps me to understand why I have to think about things the way that I do and why I have to act, speak the way that I do. And I don't think introspection is just reflection. I think it is a, a deeper level. It's one where you come into contact with your ugliness or your strengths and your weaknesses. Uh, and it just really forces you, I think, to be your authentic self. Looking toward leadership, I think that it will be a strength for me uh, because it forces me to consider everybody else's needs before my own. You know, that's awesome. I love that. Justin, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Because I know you're on Twitter now. I got you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so on Twitter, I have two accounts. One is my author account, and it's just at Justin underscore writing. My teacher educator account is at the underscore masked underscore T, the masked teacher. And that was just because when I started that account, I was watching the show The Masked Singer. <laughs> so, and on Instagram, uh, it is I am dot Mr. Belt. Uh, I also have a TikTok, and that's fun, but I won't get into that. Curious about TikTok. I am not on TikTok. So, on TikTok, is it mostly just for, for fun? Is that what you're using it for? So, honestly, I use it for motivation. So, every day I post three to four times just something to let people know that they're not alone, that, you know, if nobody else believes in you, I do, et cetera. And it's been a message that's been pretty well received. I just started this back at the end of March and I have 12,000 followers, 12,000 fans, which, yeah, it completely just blows my mind. So, yeah, I mean, All I right. think TikTok now you, now you is- gotta do it, man. You got to tell us what, how, how do we find you on TikTok now? Okay. It is I am J to the B. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I might just get on TikTok now just to follow you. Hey, listen, listen. <laughs> people people may not believe this, but I think that TikTok has the potential to really reshape the way that we do so many things. It's the power, it's a powerful, powerful platform. Talking about having hundreds of thousands of kids or people at your beck and call who are willing to listen to what you have to say. Educators, check it out. See what your kids are, are watching. It will help your lessons. I know that. Nice. Well, Justin, it is truly an honor to call you my friend. I love having you in the area. I love connecting with you and speaking with you. Um, every time I have a conversation, I feel like I've grown as a person, as a leader. So I just appreciate you so much. And thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Josh. I echo everything that you just said.